3617 respond to report of shots fired. The Coroner Talk podcast takes you behind the scenes with coroners, clinicians, and death investigators from around the world to provide training, news, and interviews from leading experts in the area of death investigation and scene management, bringing real stories and solid training together in one source. Now, here's your host, Darren Day. Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode of Coroner Talk, the only podcast in iTunes dedicated to you, the men and women working the field of death investigation, and of course, you guys that are interested or not yet in the field, anybody that has taken the time to tune in this week, I'm here for you. And I've heard from a lot of you. I keep hearing from more and more of you every single week, and I very much appreciate that. I've got a great show today about about Alaska, north to Alaska. I bet I bet a lot of you out there have some questions about how things work in Alaska. How how many investigators are there? How big is the state of Alaska? And I think you'll be surprised to to learn, number one, how big Alaska is. Number two, just to how few investigators there are. And number three, how they conduct business when you've got such differing weather systems and things like that throughout the year it's an amazing story summer yancey is a friend of the show all the way back from when it first started in 2014 and the first time she's been on the show but she's an investigator with alaska and she just brings a a lot of good information to us it's a great show i also wanted to tell you about another student who had reached out to me who was trying to get a job at a fairly large metropolitan medical examiner's office and he took an entry exam, and apparently he didn't really make a score high enough on the entry exam to warrant an interview, which is understandable, I guess. So he took the the Medical Legal Death Investigation Online Academy. After he took that academy, he also set for the National Certification Exam and passed that. And then he went back at their application time, reapplied to this Metropolitan Medical Examiner's Office, scored a whole lot higher than he did before and got put on the top three of the next interviews for a job opening. So he went from not even being on the list up to the top three that's going to get interviewed for the next opening. And so all of, he, he contacted me and told me that that was all because he took our online academy and set for the exam because he learned. That's what this is about. So he learned how to be a death investigator, what death investigation is, how to process scenes, things like that. So he was able to take his knowledge and actually score great on their entry exam. Their office recognized our academy, so they knew he took good quality training. But it was all about whether or not he could pass their exam to get on the interview list. And he did. And I am so happy that we were able to help him with that. And I look forward to him actually calling me back and telling me that he did actually get a job. So, and I'll keep you posted on that. But I've heard of a lot of other people that are starting to apply at, at places and positions that have set for our exam, set for the, the academy, and are getting hired because they've got one up on people. So, and that's what it's all about is to actually make the whole world of investigations better. That's what we want to do. And of course, with that said, please remember that in November starts the next online academy. We've got one in session now, but in November is our next online, the full online academy. 
But let's say for just a second that you're like, well, I don't know if I want to take the full online academy or I'm already working in the field and don't feel that the full academy will give me the benefits that I need necessarily. So how else, though, can I get my training? I have to get my ABMDI hours or I just want to hone my skills. Here is a good thought for you. Become a member of the Death Investigation Academy. It's a monthly subscription. And every single month you get a new online course dropped into your dashboard. So you can get all within within a year or so you'll have 20 some courses. Plus you get other benefits like the Death Investigator magazine. You get a non-dynamic version of that uh, every month as well. You get a monthly roundtable. We just had a roundtable uh, just a couple of weeks ago. It's great. We have these roundtables where we come on live and you can come on with me and we can discuss anything. If you have a case you want to talk about, if you have employment issues, if any anything that you want to talk about, it's an open office hours roundtable discussion. It's there for you and all the members to weigh in. Uh, those are very, very good times and, and being used productively. Of course, like I said, you get a course every single month. You also get a sneak peek at any new courses that are being released. So you'll have those as well before anybody else can. Uh, and there's there's a lot more. There's some discount issues in there. There are discount codes in there for other things. There's a lot you can get by being a member. And you know, it's it's not expensive when you boil it all down to get in new courses, magazines, uh, everything that you everything that you get, and you need to continue education anyway. And it's and it's post approved and probably will be approved in your state. I can help you get that done. It's a no brainer. So you can you can go to ditacademy.org/membership and you can read more about that there. Go to the academy page and just click on e-learning, and it'll take you to an option of of the monthly benefit as well. So the monthly membership benefits are amazing and you really, really need to check into those because they'll help you more than you than you actually can imagine. They're just, just because of the interaction in the community that you get from that. It's not just a one-off course. It's actually being involved with other people and learning as you go. Okay, so we're going to go into this conversation with uh, Summer Yancey from Alaska. I think you're going to find it very interesting. You know, Alaska is one of the uh, states, one of the places on my bucket list that I want to go to. Uh, and there's one other one is Australia. So let me let me just put this out here. If you are listening to us from Australia, which I do know we have people, uh, we have investigators and folks listening to us from Australia, I want to come to Australia. I think I've mentioned that in the past, but um, I can work about anything out with you to be able to get that accomplished. Uh, that's on a big bucket list of mine. I, I really, really think I would enjoy going to Australia and want to be a part of of to seeing that and be a part of that. If you're having a conference, if you're having training, if you want to put something on, uh, make it a big deal, whatever, I would love to come and be a part of that. So if you've got any ties to Australia, you're listening to me right now in Australia and you've got any uh, either you got any weight or you know anybody who does have any weight, uh, let's talk. Let's get connected. Let me see how um, I can make it extremely beneficial for you. And I get to come to Australia. So Australia and Alaska. Now, Alaska is a lot easier for me because obviously I'm a lot closer. Australia is all around the world for me, but I would still love to go. So again, that's on a bucket list. If you're in Australia, contact me. Let's work something out. So with that said, let's get into this conversation with Summer Yancey about Alaska. I think you're going to learn a lot from this episode, and you're going to learn, you know, how to investigate a grizzly bear death. Really? 
Really? Have any of you ever investigated a grizzly bear death? Now, I know many of you probably have, uh, you know, during whatever states you're in, things like that. But there's different things that she talks about and how Alaska is the same, yet really, really different. It's like a whole other country in some ways, and so, but yet still uh, very tight-knit. So anyway, without any further delay, let's get into that conversation with Summer Yancey from the Medical Examiner's Office in the state of Alaska. Adjust your earbuds, turn up those speakers, and hang on. It's now time for this week's featured conversation. All right, I'm back, and I'm so happy to have Summer Yancey on from the big state of Alaska, way up north, and in, in America, of course, it's way up north for us, and almost not even a state, but Summer, thank you very much for being on the show. Oh, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. You know, we were talking a little bit in pre-show, uh, just me and you was talking about uh, the first time we connected, and I guess it was back in 2014, uh, another coworker in your office uh, kind of got you turned on to the podcast, and and uh, you know I'd reached out to you guys then about uh, you know the show and just talking and and maybe about coming to Alaska at some point, and and years have just went on, but it's it's so exciting to have somebody that actually started listening to the show early on and and then is on the show now. Absolutely! Oh, we were so excited. I remember at that time we had had uh, gotten a shout out and we were just thrilled. Yeah, that's that's pretty fun. So, you know, you're in Alaska. Uh, how and so I want to talk a little bit about the cor- the medical examiner's office in Alaska and some of the things that you guys do because it is quite a bit different than than most areas will have to deal with. But before I get into that, just take a second and tell us who you are, how long you've been in this industry, uh, just just how would how would you want to reintroduce yourself to the world as far as being a death investigator? Well, my name is Summer Yancey. Um, I I've been at the medical examiner's office here in Anchorage, Alaska. Anchorage being not the capital city of Alaska, but but the uh, largest city of Alaska. I've been here for about five years at the medical examiner's office. January will mark that anniversary date. Uh, prior to that, I worked in the mental health field. I've worked at quite a few places uh, here in the city of Anchorage in the mental health field. Um, so I've got a you know good mix of mental health background. I, I went to University of Alaska uh, right here locally and received my bachelor's degree in justice and with a minor in psychology uh, in 2011. And and I've been uh, just been enjoying the ride. Well, that's interesting. I, you know, it makes me want to ask: Have you have you always lived in Alaska? Have you grew up there? I'm not. I'm actually uh, from Oklahoma, and so my mom kind of moved up here a long time ago, not like 1999. And then shortly after high school, I moved up and followed her as well. And I've been here since. Ah, so you grew up in Oklahoma, moved there ninety nine two thousand time frame, and then you've just stayed there. That's that's interesting. So, uh, you know, just kind of getting some demographics here. You know, the the way Oklahoma weather and Oklahoma terrain is totally different than the Alaskan terrain. Oh, absolutely different. I mean, Alaska alone is the landmass size of seventeen eight, roughly eighteen percent 
of the rest of the U.S. It is extremely large, uh, much larger than Oklahoma, certainly. And and yes, it is. It's very very different than where I grew up, uh, weather wise even. But yes. So let's talk a little bit about your size there. So Alaska is roughly 18% of the of the rest of the continental United States. And your medical examiner's office, do not do you have regions throughout the state or just one office centrally? Or how are your investigators divided? Things like that. Right. So our capital city is Juneau, uh, like I'd mentioned. Anchorage being where I live. I live in Anchorage, Alaska, and that's the largest city in Alaska. Alaska itself has about, I think, I think we're a bit higher at this point, but about 740,000 people. And this is just an estimate. Uh, so that's statewide. We have about 740,000 people. Um, Anchorage being a, probably around 292, I think maybe up to 295,000 people in Anchorage. Anchorage is uh, main office, so the Alaska State Med- Medical Examiner's Office, um, we're under the medical examiner system here, and that is covering the entire state of Alaska. So how does, investi- do you have investigators broke up around the state? Now, now let me wrap, let me back up. You know, you only have 700,000 population average in Alaska, and so there's a lot of wilderness. There's a lot of area that is not populated full-time. So how are your investigators dispatched out to a death? Um, are they, are they, do they live and are located around the state, or does everything come out of your office in Anchorage? So we have six working investigators in our office, as well as uh, two lead investigators, and then our operations administrator, which is also an investigator for, uh, within our office. And we uh, compile the state's investigator group, and uh, so all, all deaths in the state of Alaska uh, fall under the ME jurisdiction until we otherwise don't assume jurisdiction if such uh, uh, unnatural or something. We wouldn't assume jurisdiction, but we do cover the entire state of Alaska as far as le- scene logistics. So we respond to a 100-mile radius from our office. Uh, will respond to scenes that are within that 100-mile radius. Outside of that, Alaska is unique in the fact that we investigate every death. However, responding to the scene, oftentimes we have to work with our state troopers, our, our VPSOs, which is a short for Village Public Safety Officers, which is, uh, also work with the state troopers, our, our police departments, our military uh, we have many federal agencies, uh, Coast Guard. And so we would work with them and telephonically investigate the death, which, you know, comes with its own unique set of, uh, of circumstances and logistics. And we have to deal with geographical uh, complications. And, and we were able to do it. We've got a wonderful uh, interconnected, you know, organization here. Um, and so we don't respond technically to everything, uh, only within the hundred miles, but we do investigate all deaths. So all deaths are reported to you, but if it's over a hundred miles and an investigator from your office doesn't necessarily go out, 
you re, you use the local police or state police in that area to help you what, look at the scene, maybe look at the body, answer questions for you, decide if you needed to bring it to your office? Right, right. So we'll do our, our full investigation telephonically, and then at that point, we'll decide if we're going to be assuming jurisdiction and having our decedent sent into the office, um, sent in by plane uh, to the office or transported by a livery service, you know, through one of the funeral homes. And they will transport the decedent to our office. So it's not uncommon that, um, you know, that our night could include running to the airport to pick up a decedent uh, from the airport and, and bringing the decedent back to the office for the examination in which we would then, uh, you know, send them back out to the respective community in which they passed away. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that is, it, it is, it is certainly unique. Well, one of the questions that, that it brings up on that is, you know, there's a, there, there's a lot of medical examiners that work in the same way. I mean, like for instance, in, in a coroner medical examiner situation where uh, coroners are working in certain counties of per- certain parts of states and there's something that needs an autopsy, then that body is then sent to whatever medical examiner, whether it be the state medical examiner or a regional somebody contracted or something like that. So that's all kind of similar. Uh, but in your case, of course, they're coming from maybe even a lot larger distance away uh, coming in into you. So, again, Alaska's large. So if you have somebody from multi-hours away, uh, what you say plane or something, if in that case they, they pack them on a plane and send them in to you and you have to meet at the airport, again, you've got an unembalmed body that you're having to get to quick enough to get back to your to your facility. So that's kind of a kind of the same way of doing things, only extremely different when you're dealing with some of these long distances. Oh, I mean, there is in so many ways, you know, you had mentioned long distances, hours. Oftentimes, um, it's it's difficult for even our law enforcement to enter into the community for a day postmortem. Um, and that can be for various reasons. A lot of times because of weather, the elements in Alaska are real. They are very, very real. We have some extreme weather uh, getting in and out of, because many of our villages, our village communities are off grid uh, in the sense that we don't have a, a road system and they're only accessible either by boat or plane. And so if the weather is bad at that time, which which you can imagine in Alaska with our, you know, our long winters and the summers are nice as well, but um, but getting in and out uh, from a scene can be it can take a lot of coordinating. It can take oftentimes, you know, like cooling systems for um, decedents in in certain villages. Sometimes they they may have a cooling uh, cooling in the clinic, and then they'll say, okay, the decedent can be held there for a day or so, and and they'll have a local law enforcement on maintaining chain of custody until state troopers can get in and investigate death. That's not in every case, but it's certainly we have to work with that set of logistics um, to make sure that we are maintaining the integrity of those postmortem changes and getting them into the office, you know, for examination. And um, like I said, many of these uh, communities are off grid. And so the, I think, even the northernmost tip of Alaska takes a day to fly in. It takes eight hours to, to drive to Fairbanks 
Um, so you're driving quite a ways even to get to the next, you know, local city or. Right. And that, I mean, you've got, you've got some long stretches to deal with and that, and that's one of the things that make your situation unique. Also, I just happened to pull up the weather here and I show that currently where you're at is 39 degrees and for the next 10 days you have snow and you're going to stay in the thirties. So for the next 10 days, it's in the thirties and snowing every day. Yes, I did see that. I'm hoping that it is, you know, they say that they have over 40 words for snow up here. So we're hoping it's the snow that comes and doesn't stick and leaves. And I'm not sure what that, that the word for that snow is, but I'm hoping it doesn't stick uh, because it's a little bit early in the season. We've, we've been trending warmer each year. And I know, I know so many Alaskans just love, love the winter, love the snow and love when it comes in all the sports and, and fun that's associated with that. I personally would prefer uh, no snow. But. Well, being from Oklahoma, I understand. Now, Fairbanks is north of you, right? Yes, Fairbanks is north of Anchorage. And, um, and, and Fairbanks, and for, for, for the next 10 days, Fairbanks is going to be a whole lot warmer than you. Oh, yeah, but Fairbanks can get extremely cold in the winter, and they get much colder than we do. Matter of fact, Fairbanks, here in our cars, you, you plug your car and you keep your oil pan warm. Um, many people in Fairbanks plug their car in or will leave their car running. So you may see a slew of cars just running in the gas station, running outside. Keep the cars warm. It's very, very, very cold up there during the winter, but it's it's beautiful and nice in the summer. Much warmer than Anchorage. We're, we're a coastal city, so we're right on the ocean. We get the breeze. But Fairbanks has has wonderful weather right right just cold so how many autopsies does your office do a year so we have we have been trending since i've been with the office we've been going uh trending upward uh last year we did almost two thousand. Oh, autopsies altogether i'm not sure um i know that we have between autopsies exams you know included all together the inspections and the autopsies and about 2000 last year um the year prior i think it was slightly less and the year prior uh slightly less than that but not not by much we've been we've been moving upward but about 2000 so it's 2000 cases that you guys are involved in but that doesn't mean that you're cutting 2000 bodies no, no, certainly not. Right. Certainly not. That's inclusive, inclusive at, at everything. Autopsies um, alone, I'm not sure on the numbers right. uh, with autopsies, inspections versus, you know, natural cause. But I know that the numbers are around 2,000 for our group. Yeah, that's interesting. So you had mentioned a while ago when you were talking about investigators, and you had mentioned some supervisors, and you said something about investigator four. I assume you guys have investigation levels there of training and education. Is that true? Uh, certainly. Well, we uh, we have a very small office. Um, so we have our operations administrator, who is a investigator four, and then uh, below that being our two investigator threes. And we recently added uh, the second investigator three to our office. So we were able to get that uh, position promoted. And because when I first came to the medical examiner's office, I think there was only four of us, four investigators. And at times when we would have, you know, some transition going on, we could be down to three. 
Um, so, so we've been able to grow a little bit um, over the past few years. And, we, and then we had the, the investigator one. They start out as one and then a two. So six of those in our office, six investigators uh, that, that are kind of a core working group for the reported deaths in the state. So what do the levels mean? How do you go from a one to a two and a three to a four? Or what's the difference? How How is that broke down into the uh, how different levels? Well, our four is solely, uh, he's our administrator. He's our office uh, operations administrator. So as far as uh, getting direct calls, you know, he'll, he'll assist, you know, when we have a uh, maybe a large mass fatality plane wreck or, or something going on uh, to that effect. Otherwise, he does the day-to-day operations of our facility. The investigator threes, uh, they are leads. Um, they are people that have been there much longer. There's only those two positions. So it's not like a some offices have a two, three flex where you can inevitably flex two or three. Uh, within our office, there's only the two, two investigator three positions. The tongue twister there, and then uh, six that are complex one two. So they'll start maybe at a one and then flex to a two, and then you, and then you're at a two. Um, you know, unless a position opened up as a three. And the difference, you know, the difference being that the lead would likely work on uh, working with facilitating some of our our more uh, complex cases. They would consult, they would coordinate training and, and just be there as a lead and a support uh, working on bone cases or, uh, or things of that matter. So for the most part, you go from le- level one when you start, and then two and three is based upon time in the office, not necessarily uh, continuing education or anything like that. It's just time in the office, proving your skills. When a position opens up, someone is promoted from a two to a three that is, is most qualified to be promoted or whatever you're saying. Right, right. So two to a two, one to a two would be time, and then getting your ABMDI. So your um, your ABMDI would then you'd be eligible to become a two, and so there is some level of education and training in that process. Uh, six months to a year when you're eligible to then test for ABMDI, and then you'll promote to your two. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. Do you guys have an anthropologist? Uh, or an osteologist in your office? Anything? Any specialty doctors, or do you just have a pathologist? No, we have three pathologists. Um, our chief medical examiner and and two pathologists uh, along with him. And um, yeah, so we don't have any private. Now we do consult um, with with anthropologists and osteologists, but we don't have a that currently work for the office. So if you find a skeleton and you need some bone work done, do you send that out to to an anthropologist or an osteologist in a, in a college there in, in, in Alaska, or do you have to send it to the States? Who, who looks at your skeletal bones that's found? Well, we have our pathologist. So we have very, very large animals in Alaska, um, as you can imagine. So we sometimes we'll get um, somebody out on scene and, and they'll, you know, having found some bones, they'll send in some photographs to us and our pathologists will look at the photographs. And if they determine it to possibly be human, um, then they'll go at, we'll go ahead and send them in for evaluation. Um, if, 
if they are in fact found to be human, if a pathologist, you know, examines them and they're found to be human, then we'll also want to dig a little bit deeper and find out are these are these bones that were found near an archaeological uh, grave site or um, oh I don't know if if that uh, archaeological grave site right. or historic grave site right yeah historical um, yeah they, right they want to find out uh, are these maybe uh, this is from an older burial site as there's many of those in Alaska and then if not you know we've had we've had non-human remains sent in. Um, animal remains, and then we will also send them out. And we do have to send out of state, uh, which can be a pretty long process uh, for identification, but we do send them out of state to be evaluated. Right, right. Yeah, I figured you might have to do that. So what about, um, did you, if you had any, and I have to ask this question, have you had any cases where people have been killed by grizzly bears? Oh, well, you mean this week or Yeah, that's what I was have, <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Yeah, so, so how much that happens yeah. often? Absolutely, absolutely. And you know we'll have we'll have our uh seasonal trends. So we have, you know, the bears coming out of hibernation, they're coming down more into the city, they're getting hungry. Um a lot of our hiking trails and beautiful hiking trails, but but the bears are there as well black bears being much more aggressive um, and grizzly bears as well. But uh, yes, we do. And we've actually had a recent case uh, where the parks and authority, they went out and had to find the grizzly bear or find the bears. I don't think they were grizzly bears in this case, uh, find the bears that had predated on our, on our um, proceedings and they located part of the decedent with all due respect in the GI tract of these bears in which we a necropsy film necropsy would take place and uh, they would send in the remains into our office um, straight from the bear right right and and so if they can find them of course once that happens if they can find them they destroy the bear not only for evidence purposes but also because obviously that bear can't continue to live if it's killing people Absolutely, absolutely. And I think in this specific case, I was thinking there was multiple bears um, involved. And so they sent them in and we were able to identify um, the decedent and the bears as well are tagged. And then we contact, you know, um, the appropriate authorities so that they can make sure that they're keeping track of that. And, and you know, sometimes, too, with our scenes, there will be some postmortem predation that, that has to be evaluated. Was it really a problematic bear or was the bear just, you know, coming into that area? We had one over the summer that that uh, some hikers had just happened upon the bear cache and the bear cache being where the bears would take their food. Um, and so they happened upon the bear cache and, and were attacked secondary to uh, being near that area or, you know, bear cubs or, or anything to that effect. So, so the bears, you know, they'll leave you alone. But it depends if they if they're triggered, um, they will certainly. And as well, not not just the bears. In Alaska, we also have moose that are very very large, very large moose. Now we don't have as many moose related deaths, um, you know, with trampling the moose. But we have had cases where uh, people have gotten trampled right in the city. And the moose walk around here. 
Yeah, I've seen some pictures of that where, where the moose will actually be in town. Oh, they're, they're actually, actually two weeks ago, because um, I work graveyard shift, so it's dark at night, and unless it's the summer where it's light most of the night, but, uh, and the moose ran right across my window with one of, one of the babies, and it was just enormous. I mean, the moose are six, seven feet tall. Yeah, they're big animals. That's that's for sure. Uh, you know, so mm-hmm. what other can you think of just I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but any unique cases that you've worked where maybe the location was hard to get to or the death was weird or or something that would you know pretty well be unique to Alaska that you guys have had to work on in some way that would be interesting? You know, I've always thought about just the experience over the last five years that I've been able I've been exposed to because I think that we're unique to the nation that we get exposed to all kinds of deaths that most people in their career don't get exposed to for example avalanche we have avalanches up here um like I said we have extreme sports in Alaskan wilderness and tourist touristy things um at a huge scale so we'll have tourists coming up and, and maybe glacier calving um, so a part of the glacier falling off or, and people going up to see that, that's, that's pretty unique as well. We have a lot of people that are off grid in Alaska and, um, and which is wonderful. And people choose to live, you know, off grid or in, in various centers, but we've had a set of, of, um, cases with some serial killers and, uh, we've had ma- mass fatality airplane wrecks i think alaska has the highest concentration of airplanes in the nation for sure it, arguably i've heard a couple of people say the world but i know that in the nation we have the highest rate of planes so plane wrecks are nothing um unusual here as well or mass fatality mvas you know motor vehicle accidents um there's been many many that we've had that have stood out for me particularly, um, I we worked a case one one time as a team, and it was a team effort. And I just thought that the likeliness of exposure to uh, cases like this, because Alaska has one of the highest rates in the nation for suicide, homicide, domestic violence, uh, drugs. Um, and drug-related deaths. And so we also have to, and, and then we have the military base up here as well, um, that we have to deal with anybody coming in or out of the state of Alaska uh, that passes away, cruise ship death. Um, yeah, so we've got, we, it, it runs gamut. We've got quite a few types of deaths that we are exposed to. Now, I know that... Uh... You have a large Indian population in Alaska. The the, the native the, uh, Alaskan natives, I guess, would be Eskimo tribes, things like that. If I'm saying that right, I hope I am. Um, and, and are right. and are they on reservations as they are like in Oklahoma and stuff? Are there reservations there where they have where they have reservation police and a different way of doing things in their area? Well, yeah, we do have we do have many of so we have our American Indian. Uh, Alaska Native also, the indigenous people of Alaska, which includes many of the 
um, tribes, Yupik or Eskimo or um, many of the tribes we have, African-American, Pacific Islander, Caucasian, Asian. So it is kind of the melting pot of the North. I've heard it coined at times. Um, and yes, many of our communities are, are ran. They, they do have their own set of rules and r- way of running things. And like I mentioned earlier, like the BPSO system, the village public safe, safety officer, and they're uh, typically trained enforcement that can help with law enforcement and regulations in that community, but with the ethical, um, ethical and cultural sensitivities uh, to that community. And then they work with the state troopers. Um, but yeah, many of our cities have uh, there we have dry towns, dry towns being that alcohol is not allowed, you know, in that town. Um, and so there's a difference that I we did. We recently had a death related to a they they were harpooning a whale and pulling the whale in, you know, on the boat, and and then there was a witness drowning associated. So we we have these communities, and they have their their way of living, and we like to respect. Uh, certainly culturally respect what it may be. Uh, Russia, uh, there's a large Russian Orthodox presence as well. And so sometimes we'll have families requesting, you know, not to have an autopsy or exam uh, done for religious reasons. And um, and so we, we try to take all of that into consideration. And, there's, and, it's, and it's good to have that cultural competency uh, to some extent. Right. You, you, you said Russian Orthodox? Yeah, there's a high, a large Russian Orthodox presence here, which I, I specifically point out that uh, religion because I know that oftentimes when I'm dealing with uh, family or next of kin that are Russian Orthodox, they're requesting uh, not to have a an internal exam. And so, if we can, outside of you know foul play or circumstances where it wouldn't be a, avoidable, uh, we try to take into consideration those uh, religious. Uh, request as well right right now we all know that uh the the earth is round and so we don't always think sometimes of how continents lie but you uh, alaska is not very far away from russia oh no absolutely not A- actually there is so alaska like i said the land mass itself is about seven roughly 17 and a half 18 percent of the size of the u.s so we we spread quite a ways when we were getting into our island legs. And and there is a point on one of the islands that it's a mere drive across the frozen ice in the winter and you are in Russia. Um, so it's very, very close to Russia. I think, I you know, don't quote me on the distance. I think from that specific island, which is an Alaskan island, it may be four miles in the winter. Right, and and I don't know again the distance between your your mainland proper and their mainland proper, not counting islands. But if I understand my geography right, and I could be wrong, though, of course, I think it's a hundred miles or less than a hundred miles from your your coast to their coast, not counting islands. It's it's just not very far. I mean, you know, it's a boat ride, right? right? I mean, uh, so so. Yep. So again, the Earth being round, think you know, think about this is is that's an easy back when back you know in the eighties when we still in a cold war you know um, of course that part of Russia that touches you is extremely cold part it's a very 
horrible part of Russia, I guess. But but getting from there to United States land is was not very big leap at all for them to be able to do that. So there's a th- there's a thing. So when you said Russian Orthodox, that made me think that you know that's that's really close to them coming over or coming you know colonizing you know in a hundred years ago whatever um, that's a very close distance and so another another odd question that I have now and this is for all of our listeners all around the world you have different tribes up there you have Eskimos is it true that there are some Eskimo tribes that live in igloos um I don't know if I don't know if they live in igloos as much as igloos are very much still a part of their culture in the sense that when they're out hunting, um, doing their hunting, which is sometimes a community event or large groups will go out hunting and will make an igloo as a form of shelter out in as a barrier from the wind or terrain where, where it's windy and snowy and cold and, you know, out on the tundra in Alaska in the winter, when everything freezes over, um, you know, you sometimes have some, uh, traveling. So you can travel by snow machine to the next village or you can go hunting or you can go ice fishing. And so, um, people will sometimes make those barriers. And I don't know if that's exclusive to Eskimo people. I think that's actually just something that, that people of Alaska have adapted um, when they go hunting. I, I think all kinds of people use that method still. Um, and traditionally, yes, people did, you know, live in them. I don't know if it was long term, um, but they live in them for shelter for those purposes, for hunting and such. And that's probably something that, that again, 200 years ago, 100 years ago, I don't know, maybe there was more of that. And now, you know, modern modern conveniences have came along and they've probably moved into different houses and things like that. But that tradition being still available. So when they do go out there, like you said, and they're going to be hunting for an amount of time, people using that more of a temporary shelter. But at one time, that was kind of a, a way of, of living, just like just like you know, Indians in Oklahoma, where you're from, you know, they don't live in teepees anymore. It's not that they don't have teepees or make teepees, but that's generally not how they live anymore. Right. So igloos is kind of the same thing that that's an old way of doing it back before we had modern conveniences, but now it's just something they use when they need to. So, but, but, you know, that's what people think about when they think about Northern Alaska and some of the Indian tribes, they think about living in igloos. So, and and then of course, in your case, I'm sure you've had deaths occur that, that because of the snow and the ice and the freezing, nobody knows about it till spring. Oh, absolutely. We all, we always say even here, right in the city, we will have breakup season. That's when the, the snow is, you know, melting and we're getting some. So once these large piles of snow that have been plowed, you know, all, all winter long have been plowed are, are now melting or, you know, uh, side banks are now melting. And then we'll have the discovery of remains at that point. There is also a, a certain level of preservation in that as well. So with the cold and with them being, you know, on, I guess, essentially on ice mm-hmm. all, all season, um, there's quite a bit of preservation. Now, sometimes um, the environmental exposure, of course, uh, they can pass away. People always, uh, also hike here. We have uh, Denali Mountain in Mexico. It's a famous one that people like to hike. Um, and and so sometimes recovery efforts of, of those can be, take several weeks. 
because the search and rescue has to acclimate, uh, you know, to acclimate herself to move up to a higher elevation to retrieve remains as well. And and I was going to touch on um, absolutely, like you said, with the um, igloos, you know, that is Alaska is known. Everybody says, do, do people still live in igloos up there? But we, they still are very much in use in the sense that our indigenous communities are culturally rich and they like to, um, you know, keep their culture going. And, and the way of living in many of these communities is still, um, you know, for Western people, may, they may see, say, oh, that, you know, that way of living is antiquated in a sense, but they're still off the grid and there's no, many, many times, no electricity um, still in the communities or they'll have like a community shower or do uh, the traditional themes um, and, and all of those uh, being, they, you know, where people can pass away as well being overly exposed to those elements. But um, Alaska is extremely culturally rich. Right, right, which is which is a good thing. I mean, I, I think that's very appropriate, and they should hang on to that. But you guys have such... Oh. You're, 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 you guys have so many different things. Like I talked about today, you've got cities of over 200,000 people, which, you know, down in the lower... 48 states you know 200,000 could seem to be a small town in some of these towns but you know you've got you've got the 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 back the wilderness of the wilderness then you've got my high modern population towns you've got military you've got several different native american tribes you've got people like you that are essentially implants that came from oklahoma uh you know or and then you've got those that's grown up there so i would i would say you're right now, every state has different different uh, people and different things every state has that but i always found alaska mm-hmm. being very unique in that um you know it's one's the temperature and two the ruggedness of the wilderness it's not just like you have mountains like in colorado and colorado gets cold too but you've got extremes up there you know and you've got wilderness uh-huh. that you could get you could go for days and days and miles and weeks and not see anybody alive i mean just just up there by yourself Oh, you know, I will say that's one of the many, many reasons why the implants, per se, will come up here and just not leave. It not not only do you have to fly out or, or boat out, or you'd have to drive through Canada to get out of Alaska, you know, so essentially you have to have your passport um, to visit because we're connected to Canada, but we're not connected in any sense to any more, we call it the lower 48. So the lower 48 being the rest of the United States, um, we're not connected. We're connected through Canada. and But we have such, I mean, there's not anything that you, with the landmass that we have and the extreme tour, tours and people come up here from around the world at extreme vacations. These are bucket list vacations that people come up here for. It is absolutely stunning both in the winter um as well in the summer you know in the winter you can get a a beautiful um night sky of aurora borealis light it is just so stunning i can't emphasize it enough in the in the summer you can have 23 hours of sunlight And, and then even when it does get dark it's just this almost like a dusk like the the sun and the moon are in the same guys looking at each other and they're so large they look like they're just sitting right on top of the, you know the earth and 
and it's so amazingly gorgeous. I, I do love Alaska in that sense. Um, I do love that you can go out and people come up here and, and they have some of the greatest fishing in the world. The, the Alaskan salmon that people just come and, and love to go fishing in the summer. Um, you know, whale, we have beautiful whales and seals and um, moose, like I said, and the bears and eagles, bald eagles. Just It's just absolutely, I could go on for days at just about what there is to do in Alaska and what a beautiful state it is and what amazing people um, live here and how different it is. It's very, very different. You know, in Anchorage, uh, where I live, we, we actually have an urban vibe here, but it's also a small town feel. So albeit that we may have, you know, well over 200,000 people, it's almost like because you don't leave the state as much or many of our systems are not interconnected through the road system, um, everybody kind of knows everybody. Yeah, you're kind of closed in up there in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and everybody knows everybody, so you get that small town feel where you're. I, I, it's not uncommon for me. I work. I work at nights, and I cover the state of Alaska alone um, on the nights that I work. And so, I, you know, it's not uncommon at all that I may arrive to a scene and know two or three of the people there. Yeah, yeah, that that's very interesting. I know that Alaska is on one of my is my bucket list. Uh, Alaska and Australia are the are the two big places that I want to go. I mean, there's a lot of places I'd like to see, I, I, and and there's a lot of places I think would be fantastic. Um, Ireland and Scotland and things like that. But but uh, my two biggest ones is Australia and Alaska. Now Alaska probably is going to be a lot easier for me, uh, but I would love to be able to get a conference in in Australia somewhere where I get to fly down there and speak at a conference because then at least they can pay my airfare. So, but anyway, uh, Australia, Australia is on my bucket list and so is Alaska. I'd love to take an Alaskan cruise, but I know at one time I was talking to you uh, back years ago when we had email or just conversation really. And, and one of the things I said was if I can ever get to Alaska to teach, if we never come up there and teach at the state medical examiner's office or something, can I stay over an extra day so somebody like your conservation department or something will take me up in a helicopter and show me some good sites? That would be a fan. That would be a fantastic trip. So, so I've you know someday I'm going to go up there. I, uh, if you stick around the ME's office long enough, someday I'll come up there and and uh, you can show me around. Oh boy, I tell you, absolutely. I do remember speaking a couple years back, and we were we were just so excited we were going to get you up there um you get you up here training and and see if we could and absolutely i mean i could get you out on a plane if you want to go look all around alaska i i would be glad to host that i would be glad to make sure that you uh, can check that off your bucket list yeah yeah so the, that's the thing is is that's a, just a neat place and i gotta go out there some way someday so well, Summer, I appreciate you coming on the show. I'll let you go, but I, I, I appreciate you coming on. Tell us about Alaska, giving us a glimpse into something that, hey, I'll be honest with you, not not only do I not know a lot about Alaska, a lot of our listeners, I mean, around the world are listening to this and probably fascinated by some of the stuff you said because Alaska is one of these, 
one of these places that exist, but you only know about it in theory or in books uh, because it's so different. I mean, Oklahoma and Kansas and all Colorado, okay, that's kind of the Midwest, all kind of the same. Alaska is so totally different, and so there's a lot of myth around it. So I just, I'm, I'm glad that you came on and talked about that, and I just appreciate. Hey, let me just tell you, I appreciate you being a, a supporter of the show, being involved since the since nearly the beginning. We're going on almost four years, and, and you've been here since the beginning, and I really appreciate that. I know. You know what? I I just used to love at night. I would put it on, and I'd just let each podcast play, and I have been such a big fan. I support everything uh, that you're doing. I would love to, at some point, be a part of it. Hey, if anybody wants um, training or anything of that sort, feel free to invite me as well, and I'll head out, and then you can come in in return and uh, and and train us up here. We we do certainly welcome everyone. We want everyone to come up here, but we want everyone to also be aware that the elements up here, it, it's it's not a video game. It's very yeah. Stuff gets real when you get to Alaska. Um, and aware of the very very real and. And so we just want to make sure that everybody comes up here because we are, um, you know, we're modern. We're cool up here and, and it's not, everything's not just uh, dark and cold and we've got wonderful weather in the summer, um, wonderful weather in the winter as well, you know, skiing and all kinds of sports and stuff, but just be careful. And, and, and you, everybody I encourage should come to Alaska at least once in their life. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Well, Summer, I appreciate you very much. Um, I'll let you go for now. Thank you again for being on the show. And hopefully we can maybe have you on another time, an update, or, or I'll get up there. Maybe we'll do a, a show um, from Alaska. That would be fantastic. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Well, you have a great rest of your day. Oh, you too. All right, I'm right back with you here. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Summer. She's a neat person. Uh, really brings a lot uh, to the conversation when it comes to Alaska. Things I didn't know about, and I'm sure there's all, most of you listening right now that don't know about Alaska. So very interesting. Again, Summer, thank you so much for coming on the show. I know it takes time sometimes to get uh, you on the show and things that they're busy. And just to take out your time, and, and with only three investigators working uh, the way you guys do in the state, you know, you're know you awful busy. So I do appreciate, again, your time and, and, and letting us learn a little bit about Alaska. Again, I hope to get there sometime in 2019, and I would really love to get to Australia in 2019 as well. Uh, somehow we can get both of those worked out, I'm sure. Remember, as this comes out live, it's October 2018, and November of 2018 is the next Medical Legal Death Investigation Online Academy. You can find that at coronerschool.com. Again, that's coronerschool.com. And you can learn more about it that there as far as uh, costs and payment plans or how to get involved, things like that. So, and, again, and also, if you need anything out of me or my team, if you have specific training that you want or anything like that, please let me know. I'll do everything I can to help you. If you're not in the industry yet and you want to get into the death investigation industry, reach out to me. I'll give you some help with that as well. So until next week, everybody, again, always, always, always find a way to be a blessing to someone. It'll always come back to you tenfold. And above all, be safe. 
Thanks for listening to Coroner Talk, a DSBN media production. Visit our website at coronertalk.com and be sure to like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash coroner training. 3617 1024 scene on route to morgue.